hosted by Mike, the Big Cheese.
right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is Sunday, February 4th. I feel like we were just saying Happy New Year's not long ago. We're into the second month of the year. That's how fast time goes by, especially as you get older. Uh, we got a great show tonight for everybody. David Rock Feinstein of The Rods is on tonight. Marlene Portnoy, Martin's Myung of Mean Streak. We got a great one for him. Right there, we kick things off with Blessed Death, Knights of Old Bridge, the Old Bridge Militia. I know I've told this story before in the past, uh, but it's been a long time. So, 1984, my friend Eddie and I, my, you know, who was my best friend back then, we were like regulars at Lamore. We were still teenagers. Uh, but, you know, with the fake IDs, you were able to get in anywhere back then. <laughs> go to Butterflies in Manhattan, get a fake ID, go to every show. But after going like that for a couple of months back, and we started going there, I think, at the end of 82 or the middle of 82. And once you got to know the bouncers, even though they knew you were underage, they didn't bother you anyway. They just let you in. But Battle of the Little Bands, every Thursday night, uh, the first week, I believe it was, or maybe the second week, Blessed Death on stage, it was them... Oh, I can't remember. It was them, Carnivore, and I want to see Wrathchild USA, which was just Wrathchild back then. I think those were the three bands competing that week. And Blessed Death and Carnivore went on, I think, to the following week. I remember Blessed Death coming out, and there weren't a lot of people in the club on a Thursday night, you know, because everybody worked back then, and shows were typically on Friday and uh, Saturday. And, you know, they came on, and me and Eddie go right up to the front of the stage like always, oh, a headbang, and they looked like the cast of Deliverance. They looked like they came out of the backwoods of some <laughs> southern backwood country. And they came on, and they just blew me away. They were so intense. Larry was an amazing singer. You had the Brothers Palsas in the band. Just what, what a great band they were. And I was like so... I was like, you know, that's how we discovered new music back then. You know, when I, I talked to the band after the show... And, uh, you know, they gave us a copy of the demo. When I went home, I played the shit out of that demo tape. And every week we went back, and they competed two or three more times. They actually won it in the end. Uh, but they competed a couple more times before the final. And I remember it was like one of the next to the last shows before they were going to get into the finals of the Battle of the Bands. I told the guys I would love to videotape you. You know, and I had no video machine. Back then, there were no cell phones. The, the, the cell phones did not exist. You know, you had to have a camera. They didn't even have the little like portable um, 8 millimeter cameras or those small ones you had to have like a big camera that was like 3 foot long it was like the ones that they filmed TV shows with and I remember because I, I, the video store down my corner where I lived in Brooklyn they had video equipment for rent it was like $99 you rent it for the weekend that was a lot of money for a, a 14, 15 year old kid you know back then but I rented out the equipment they got me into for free that night like on the guest list I was so thrilled to be like on the guest list of a band I sat up next to Alex Kane the DJ at the time and I stood next to him and I videotaped taped the entire show. And, you know, I, I went home and I tried to fix up the best I could and everything. And I mean, like a week later, they called me up to, like, we're coming into Brooklyn. They were from New Jersey and Old Bridge. Like, we're going to go pick up the tape. And I remember when they came walking up the block, I grew up in Bensonhurst, an old Italian neighborhood, you know, old Guidos and, and Cougines and Cougettes. And they came up the block. My neighbor's like, then who the fuck they <laughs> they were getting ready to call the cops. I remember giving them the videotape. We chatted for a little bit. They sent that videotape to Megaforce, and Megaforce signed them to a record deal. And I was so happy that I had like a little hand in helping those guys get signed, because when Megaforce saw the video, they just signed them right away. And I got a big thank you on the back of the album. And to this day, I still have it in a picture frame on my wall. That 14-year-old kid of me is still thrilled with all of that. Absolutely love it. All right, so right there, Blessed Death, Knights of Old Bridge. Those guys were great. Uh, absolutely loved it. I always hope for a reunion. The guitar player Nick passed away a couple of years ago. It, it just won't happen. At least I don't think it will, but you never say never in the music business, right? 
All right, you know what? We're going to get us some music by Century. They're a brand new band that consists of all the ex-members of Manila Road. Now, this is how you do it. They didn't carry on with the Manila Road name. They didn't name the band after, like, something that, you know, was like a tribute to Mark Shelton's Manila Road. They just came up with a new name a couple of years later called Century. They put out a great record. I'm going to play a song called Dark Matters off that album. I think we're going to have some of the guys in that band on the show in a few weeks for an interview, but a really solid album. Here's Dark Matter by Century. Just pinned in 
is in the chat, you know we gotta play some America. There you go, rapid fire. Right before that, Ravens bitch with next victim. We started things off with Century, some brand new music, a song called Dark Matter. Check out the record, it's pretty good. I know we're gonna have somebody from the band on, I'm not sure who. Uh, I think they're doing the press day sometime next week, so uh, it'll be a pre-recorded interview. Uh, we'll get that on there. We're gonna have to get used to doing a lot of pre-recorded interviews, because next year they're eliminating the live function on here. I hope something changes between now and next January, but you never know. All right, The Rock is up next, and I mean The Real Rock, the David Rock Feinstein of The Raj Rock. Let's talk to him in about five minutes. Before we do, let's play some Let Them Eat Metal.
Hi, Mike. This is Rock. How you doing? I'm doing great, Rock. How are you tonight? I'm doing good, Thanks. except for the weather. Uh, I, I, I'm in New York myself, so I know it's been, yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's been a cold week. <laughs> oh, I know. It's miserable. I tell you, I, I feel like I got like seasonal depression and, you know, all this other stuff. My God. I mean, I've lived here all my life. I grew up here, but, you, you, th- you know, you'd think that I'd get used to it after a while, but it just, I don't know, you know. People I know that go to winter, you know, in Florida, you know, they're gone for, you know, most of the winter time. I'm still up here, but um, this is where I'm based, you know, and this is where my family is. So this is where I got to be. I know. I feel you. You know what? We kind of got away with bed winters the last two years, but it's catching up to us again, you know. I know. You get a little spoiled. I know. We've been fortunate. So, you know, you think about what's going on in the other parts of the country, you know, with the flooding and the hurricanes and the, you know, landslides and everything and the fires you know it's like we're actually pretty fortunate up here in upstate new york oh absolutely i couldn't agree more yeah not to be depressed i mean you got a brand new record out i mean come on how can you be depressed i know i know well (laughs) i'm depressed because it's not you know at least in the top 10 charts yet (laughs) of course none of our records are so you know it doesn't really matter Oh, God. Well, the rods have I always know. been the little engine that could. I mean, I mean, you think about how far back it goes. I mean, even with the breakup, for, you know, maybe two decades. I mean, you yeah, guys have I always know. been an influence to a lot of other bands. I, you, I don't know if you realize that. I know because, you know, like when we actually started out, we didn't realize it. We were in the, like the new wave of, you know, of heavy metal, you know, British heavy metal. You know, we didn't even realize um, it was happening, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean playing gigs with Metallica and all these bands that were just starting out at the time, you know, we were, we were in the same thing, just starting out, but, um, been a long, yeah, it's been, been a long time. We've been at it, you know, we've really persevered. Absolutely. Well, like you said, yeah. you know, it was a brand new scene coming out about that time. You guys were, you know, a great hard rock band and everything started changing around the same time the band started forming. Things were getting harder and heavier. The music mm-hmm. was changing. But, you know, you go back to the 60s being in bands and you've kind of always gone with the changes. You know, everything kind of like, you know, took an influence on you. If you go back to the elves and everything you did after that, I mean, you know, you've kind of been like at the forefront of a lot of different genres of, you know, rock or metal. Yeah, you know, um, you know, back in the Elf, well, it's probably because, you know, go back that far, my influences were, you know, like Hendrix and Richie Blackmore and Jeff Beck and all those players, you know, and those bands that were out at the time, you know, um, you know, so that was like my inspiration. And that became like when, when Elf, um, you know, started to record and do that, when I got in Ronnie's band, of course, it was before it was Elf, it was Ron and Dio and the Prophets, but um, when Elf became to start to write songs and do things, it was like, what we were doing was kind of like heavy at the time, but when you listen to it now, it's more like, you know, it's more like country rock, you know, but I think that's why it's, it's held the interest for all the years. And the people still think of that first Elf album as like, you know, they love it. And, um, you know, aside from that, you know, the inspirations of being what's happening and what's, what's, you know, things that go on, you know, like, uh, and develop into, things got heavier and heavier and heavier, you know, as the, as the years went on. But, um, you know, we just kind of main, maintained our identity, I guess it was, um, of being a three-piece, you know, rock band. True. I mean, it, did you, it, you know? I mean, did you, like, go with the changes because it entered, you know, like the new music coming around kind of, like, grabbed your attention and you wanted to, to be a part of it? Did you feel like, you know, hey, you know, we got to kind of change our sound up because this whole new, you know, sound is coming in now and, that's what's happening. Did you kind of go with the flow of like the different changes in the scene or was it just because you became interested in everything going on around you and you wanted to kind of be a part of that and 
take what the Rodgers was doing and make it you know relevant to that. Yeah, I don't I don't think we took you know I don't think we listened to anything and said let's you know let's we want to be like that or we have to do that you know to be popular. I think it was a matter of just doing what we naturally felt comfortable doing. Um, which happened to be, you know, the genre of music that we were playing it, you know, playing it. Like, I'm pretty much a one-dimensional guitar player. I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, I can't play a scale to save my neck, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just not that, I'm not that, I wasn't brought up on that. I never took a guitar lesson in my life. Started out as a drummer until Ronnie asked me to be in the band on a rhythm guitar player. But, you know, I said, yeah, great, I can learn to play guitar. Um, so I never really, you know, I kind of played always you know, was inspired by people like Hendrix and Jeff Beck and those kind of players to, to play like what came out, well, you know, what, what you felt good playing, you know. So like in the writing of songs and the playing of that type of music, uh, it's basically, you know, just the way I, for, for myself, I'm speaking for myself as part of a, the band, you know, if we were to take, uh, and, and Carl's the same way, he has an identity about his playing, his drum playing, you know. So if we took any song and we played it in the Rod style, it would sound like the Rods, you know. So uh, I think it's it's more like we just played the way we normally would play something, and not really thought about is this what people are really going to like, or are we up with the times, you know? Um, and maybe you know maybe we would have been you know a lot more successful if we did do that. But then again, I think you need to, you know, to be yourself, you know, and, and to have your own style and identity and be, to be known, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. From the beginning, well, the Rods always planned to be a three-piece band. You've come from bands that were much larger, four or five-piece bands. <laughs> Did you want to kind of tone it down to just the three basic, you know, guys and, and their instruments? Well, when the Rods, you know, started, you know, basically it was, you know, it was the, I was out of Elf there for a while, which I'd never thought I'd totally be out i just needed to get a break but with the way things happened the turn of events with rainbow and sabbath and everything i knew that elf was never going to happen again but um you know i basically wanted to form a band to go out and play bars to make 50 bucks a night you know yeah to pay my bills to buy gas for my truck and stuff like that and that's how uh when i went out to see a band that carl was playing i said oh, a great drummer hey carl you want to start a band okay you know and that's how the rod started and um, so, I don't know, uh, I kind of get off the subject about what your original question was, but uh, what, what did you what did you ask me? What was your original question? If, if you guys planned on being a three-piece from the very beginning, kind of oh, just yeah, keeping it to the three, three basic piece. instruments, yeah. Well, we got, so we, there was Carl and I, and then we got a bass player, of course, it was a local guy. We wanted to get, we wanted to have a singer, you know, we wanted to get a singer, and there just wasn't anybody around at the time. Um, that was around the area or that we felt, you know, we could have as a singer. So we just started, you know, I started doing the singing, which I never really planned, you know, to be the lead singer. And, um, you know, I did sing backup in Ronnie's band, you know, an elf band, but I never planned to sing lead. I never really interested in being a singer, um, never really took it seriously. Uh, and that's obvious in a lot, a lot of the records. But, um, we started out as a three-piece, and I just started writing songs, and I started singing them. And, and actually, through the years, we did think about, well, maybe we'll get a lead singer, maybe we'll get a lead singer, you know. And there were times when, um, you know, we did bring a couple people in, and they had a rehearsal and stuff. But for me, you know, I the only band I played in that had a lead singer was, was Elf. 
you know, who had, which is the best lead singer in the world, you know? Yeah. So for, for me to play, you know, to hear somebody else and then the style of songs that we were writing <clears throat> didn't really, uh, to bring a singer in, it would have been a different type of sound, you know, it would have been a different style because after a, a certain amount of time, we adapted, you know, a certain sound with being a three-piece and of course, if we added a fourth player, there's a lot of times we use keyboards, you know, in, in the recordings too, you know, and we thought, well, maybe we should have a keyboard player live. And then again, there's nobody to play keyboard. So we just stick to the three piece format and, you know, it's, it's worked out for us, you know, being a three piece, you know, there's a lot of successful three piece bands out there, but um, for us, it became our identity. So we just kind of stuck with it. Absolutely, but there were times over the years, I mean, even just recently, I think about it, well, I keep saying a year ago, I forget we're in 2024 right now, mm-hmm. but uh, where you had, I think Michael was taking over the vocals for a year or so, and he was going to be the singer, and you had, you know, Sammy Avigil in there at one point, and, and Rick Hotter was mm-hmm. in there for a little while, even though I think his band really was, I don't think you really considered that a, technically a Rod's record, right? Right, no, well, the Rick Cottle, um the Hollywood album, was like the band really wasn't doing much at that point you know it was kind of dispersed and those particular songs were songs i think a lot of those songs were songs that i wrote and they were they weren't really rod style songs they really needed um they were type of song that you really needed a singer you know that could really sing so carl and i said well let's do this album let's take all these tracks that we have that are not really rod style and we'll bring in a a singer and we'll do do an off you know one-off type of album I said, great. So Carl had heard um, Rick sing on uh, Star Search, a TV show. Yeah. And he sent me a tape, and I, I listened to Rick, and I said, oh, the guy's got a great voice. So I said, yeah, let's get him. So Carl gave him a call, and, and uh, we got him up here, and he learned the songs. He stayed up here for a few days and recorded them, and that was kind of like a one-off album that we did. Uh, Shmulek <clears throat> was another, you know, he was a good friend of, you know, lived in lived in town here, Um Became a good friend of ours. Um, he was a good singer. Also was in other bands, you know, where he was from, Holland or wherever. Um, and at a point uh, that the Rods weren't really really together, you know, Shmulek came in and sang and uh, did some things. <clears throat> and he was another a great singer, you know. Um, but it was more like a one-off thing. And then with well, this other kid you're talking about, Mike, who was um, a friend of Carl's down in PA, I think. He came up because we were thinking about, okay, if we're going to redo another album, then maybe we should, you know, we'll think about getting a lead singer. And Mike's a great singer. He did come into a rehearse, couple of rehearsals. And I don't know, after we just, you know, him being a great singer and all, it just didn't match up with the Rod's music. Like when we went to some of the older songs that we had already recorded in the past, you know, to have Mike sing them, it didn't have the same identity. Didn't have the same, you know, character sound. Um, so that's why we said, you know what, we're just going to stick to what we got. You know, we're going to be a three-piece band, yeah. and um, you know, and, I, and I'm going to do the vocals, and that's what it would have boiled down to. Um, I think if we were, you know, like 25 years younger, and we were going to restructure the band into something different, you know, uh, maybe add a keyboard player, add a lead singer, you know, like change the music a little bit. Um, you know, and restructure things, it would have been a different story. But we have, we had over the years, we built up such a reputation and and such a, um, you know, character part in the music and everything that we, we just felt that we needed to keep it that way. 
I'm glad you went with that decision. Yeah, Mike is a great singer. He sings with Colin his uh, in his solo yeah. band. So that's right, yeah, from. But I was going to mm-hmm. answer. You kind of answered that question in a way, anyway, because I'm like, you know, being that you're the voice of the band, and that really, I mean, you could be the greatest guitar player, drummer, bass player, keyboardist, but the voice, you know, the singer, it kind of defines the sound of that band. Even, I mean, all together, music and everything. But I was going to ask you, what does it feel like when you're sitting there and they're playing a song off the Wild Dogs, you know, and and he's singing it, and like it's such a distinctive song. You're like, I don't know, man. When I do it, I do it like this. So it sounds different when I, you know, you know, no, it has to be a weird, is it like a weird feeling when you hear them doing, if it was new music, you were like, okay, well, I really haven't put anything to it yet, so, you know, yeah. it's a new song, but the older ones, especially the classics. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's what it is, you know, it becomes, become, you know, it's a character part, almost, you know, it's like, I don't really consider myself a singer-singer, you know, I'm more of like a stylist, I mean, it's like Lemmy, it's like Ozzy, you know, it's like, yeah. They're singers, you know, D. Snyder, they're all, we're all singers. We're singing the song, but we're not someone like Ronnie. You know, we're not someone like some of these hot singers that are excellent singers. You know, it's a whole different, whole different thing, you know, um, but we're characters, you know, and our voices are character parts and, and, you know, Motorhead, when, there's no Motorhead without Lemmy, Lemmy singing. Yeah. You know, I don't care what, like you said, you can bring any guitar player, any bass player. I mean, you look on the internet, and it's just mind-boggling right now. I mean, I you're seeing kids that are, you know, not barely teenagers that are ripping up and down the guitar neck, whether it's bass, guitar, drums, keyboards, you name it. There are just so many talented uh, kids out there playing it. It's like, it's like run-of-the-mill. It's like I get the impression that, you know, these, you know, it's a different generation. You know, when I started on guitar, I was a rhythm guitar player. I, I, let me learn the chord A, E, G, you know, that yeah. kind of thing, and play rhythm along, and and then work out a lead part. You know, which back then it was different leads, but it's more so of, of a feel, kind of like a. I was brought up on more of a blues-based, you know, style of playing guitar. But I think nowadays, younger kids when they hear someone like Ingve or Eddie Van Halen or any of these hot guitar players that can just rip it up, I think they look at it as a challenge, more like a game. You know, like, I can do that. You know, I can I can beat that. You know, and they look at it as a challenge, and they pick up a guitar, and they learn it, and all of a sudden, they can do it, you know? I'm not saying everybody can do it, but there's a million people out there, when you look, at, look through the Internet, that, that just, it's mind-boggling. You know, I love listening to it, and I love watching these kids do it. Um, but it's all technique, you know, it's all, it's technical exercise, you know, and, uh, and, and it's, you know, it's part of like, I don't know, I think a group or a guitar player or drummer, you know, or any instrument person playing an instrument and the vocal as well, you need to have an identity, you know, so that when you hear that person play, when you, you know, when you hear, when you hear a Hendrix song, you know, it's Hendrix playing, you know, when you hear ZZ Top, you know, it's Billy Gibbons playing. You know, when you hear Jeff uh, Jeff Beck, uh, any record, you, you know it's him. And that's what's important, to have an identity. It doesn't matter if you're playing 100 notes a minute <laughs> or one note, you know. Um, you have to be identifiable. I th- that's just my opinion, you know. Um, what makes, makes you more successful, to be identifiable about your sound. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's just, you know, like anytime you hear a song and you hear the vocals of a singer, you know the band because of, of the singer and the vocals. When you can identify a band by the guitar player's tone or sound, the style, then you know you've really created something special there. Like you said, you mm-hmm. know it's you know it's Jeff Beck, you know it's Eric Clapton, you know who these players mm-hmm. are just by the tone, just by the feel. 
I mean, it's, really, right. it's a continuation of almost like their body and their soul when they when they play, uh-huh. and it's all part yeah. of them. And but do you think it's like you know you hit like you were just saying about these kids today they've been able to play like Ying Vey and Eddie Van Halen? Do you think it's just harder today? I mean, when you think back when you were starting out and you were going to get into a band and form a band, I mean, we're influenced by somebody that came before us. You know, musically, I, I love Hendrix, I love this, I love that. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of have to take what's going on around you and then take what you want to do and come up with something different or new or just put all the other influences into it and make it a new thing. Do you think it's much harder today for any band to come up with something new and original after 50 or 60 years of every band kind of doing something before them? It, it it is, you know, I mean, I, I know just in the last, you know, this last album that we did, um, you know, of writing the songs, uh, you know, I took I took it a little bit more serious, you know, this time through. And I actually took like the vocal parts um, more serious, you know, and I took the writing in a different uh, uh, sense for me. I, 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 I like to call it maybe it's a little bit more mature than previous Rod's things, you know, instead of singing about or writing songs about let's party all night, you know, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Um, let's tell more of a story. Let's let's tell more of like how you feel about a certain thing uh, so that, you know, whoever listens to that might grasp onto it, you know, and relate to it. And I always would think, uh, you know, I think about Ronnie's lyrics, you know, and how he wrote and what, what he put in his songs. And, you know, his, he had a brilliant mind. So, I mean, he was far beyond... Um, you know, pretty pretty much in my mind, anybody, you know, when it comes to like lyrics and creating uh, songs. But, you know, he told a story with his songs, you know, even though they were, you know, super heavy, a lot of them, um, it was a different thing. So I think that's the approach I took. And, and, you know, there will be, there's a very good chance there'll be another Rod's album. I mean, I've already got six songs, you know, ready for another Rod's album. And, um, you know, I want to be more serious about what the songs uh, relate to. So, but yet not lose the identity of the band. Sure. It is difficult because, you know, when you listen to a rock song, it's basically when I go into record, (laughs) I go to the studio to record my guitar tracks and I tell um, Lonnie, oh, I got it. This is the new song. This is the title. Uh, It's the same three chords. They're just in a different pattern, you know? (laughs) So, you know, it's like you try to write, but. Yeah, it is difficult to come up with something new, you know. But it yet, does get harder. Your style. I mean, the yeah. title track of the record, Rattle the Cage, great video. You know, kind of a political song in a way or just a song about what's going on in the world. Definitely something out of the box for you guys. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, yeah, and that's that was what I just, you know, kind of one of the things I just touched on is the fact that you want, I want things to relate to, like, we were younger we sang about partying and stuff like that. Um, that related to the to the age group that we were playing to, you know. Even though our, the age group or the audience now is still, I mean, there's kids that you know are fans that weren't even born when we were in our heyday, you know. And then you ha- then you have the fans that are like our age now that liked the band back in the '80s. But um, you need to like uh, rattle the cage. Is a great title. Carl actually gave me that title. You know, he said, I got a great title. I go, what is it? And rattle the cage. And he jotted down a couple of ideas, you know, like um, for, for into lyrics. And I said, you know, I can do something with that, you know. And and, um, and it was very easy for me because there was a story to tell there. And there was uh, a feeling about, you know, what you were saying in the lyrics. And along with that, it had a great kind of a heavy 
rock and track to it too, you know? So uh, that was easy. And, um, but the rattle the cage, yeah, it doesn't, it does apply to, you know, to the masses and it is political. And there's been times when I've been criticized through the years um, for getting a little political in my lyrics, but I, and like I've said before, I'm not, I don't want to be a preacher. I'm not preaching, you know, it's only, I might be just staying, saying like what I, what I feel, you know, and I'm not yeah. trying to, sway, it's not trying to sway anybody into like, you know, what, as to what I'm saying, it's just like, I'm expressing a feeling. So, but rattle a cage does say a lot. It, and it's a, it's a great song. I'm really proud of it. And, um, you know, I'm actually proud of this whole album. It's, it's a step up for, for us, I think. It's an amazing record. I'm glad, you know, since you guys kind of got back together, this is like the third studio record that you've put out. And, and you kind of go back to the 80s or even like 1980 with, you know, with, with Rock Hard. You guys had an amazing output throughout the 80s. I mean, between that, the Raj Wild Dogs and the Raw, Let Them Eat Metal. I mean, then it seems like, you know, like a few years later, it all came to an end. I mean, when did you decide, like, it wasn't just, you know, you just say, listen, it's not happening. We've been trying. We've, we've hit a certain level of success, but maybe we're not going to get to the next level. I mean, how does it end at that point in time? Because metal was still thriving in the 80s, especially when you guys kind of, you know, packed it in. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what it was is, um, you know, like, when we decided to stop, it wasn't internal. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't get along with each other, you know, that kind of thing. It was basically the business that, you know, got to us, you know. And, of course, it's always been said, and I can't remember what was said it to us, but music business is two words, music and business. Yeah. And, you know, in that respect, a lot of times musicians got taken advantage of, you know. I mean, you know, you've heard the stories a hundred times over. Everybody falls into it mostly. And, you know, we got, we just got burned out on the business end of the whole thing, you know, with record labels, with, you know, managers, with, you know, the whole, the whole business part of it. We just got tired of it. We said, we're not doing this anymore. And, but the thing is, being a musician, uh, it's something that's in you that's not going to go away. You know, uh, you may choose to do not to do it for a while, but it's always going to resurface. And that's what happened. You know, uh, you get away from it for a while, but all of a sudden, oh, geez, I got an idea for a song. I pick up the guitar again, you know, because when that when that did happen and we did quit doing it, I, I didn't even listen to the radio. I didn't listen to music at all. I didn't have anything. I didn't want anything to do with with music. I just like excommunicated myself from it entirely. And it took a while for it to come back, you know, when um, I got the urge again to, like, write and to play and to form a band, you know, which became the Rods, um, just to play, just to play. It wasn't like we never uh, formed this band to, like, think that we're going to be rock stars or we're going to be this or we're going to be that. You know, we basically formed the band, you know, to go out and play some clubs and make 50 bucks a night and have a good time, you know. And that was it. And and the success that we've had, you know, basically came nat, you know, naturally. I mean, so, um, I don't know. It's there, you know. Ronnie said to me one time, "Rock, you got to do it while you can," you know. And he was totally right. You know, you just if you feel like you got to do it, you're gonna do it. You know, and do the best you can with it. And if, you know, if you're happy with what you're doing and it makes you feel good, that's what's important. You know, if there's not another soul that likes what you're doing or, you know, likes hearing what you're playing or anything. That doesn't matter because if it makes you feel good, that's the main thing. That's why you're doing it. 
True. You know, when you like, you know, you talk about success and everything, and you'll see some bands out there. It could be from you know any genre of music, and you have to scratch your head saying, "How the hell did this band or this person, you know, achieve what they did and get to the point that they are?" I mean, anybody that has any knowledge of music knows that you know every star in the world has to be aligned sometimes for something to happen. And then you'll take a band like Iron Maiden or Metallica, two of the largest you know metal bands out there, you know, playing. You know, stadiums and arenas and festivals. Mm-hmm. They had the same management in place basically from the very beginning of the band when they started to take mm-hmm. off. And and th- th- you really have to have that great combination of management that you could trust being your son that's going to get you to where they you need to be because it also benefits them also as well as the band. You know, everybody goes in that ride together. But I mean, you know, is it like a, that one in a million shot where you just throw that dart at the wall and it lands on somebody's name and did the next big thing? No, it's it's important to have that. You know. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't have that, you know, and a lot of bands don't have that, but you know, you really need someone, you know, fighting for you and believing in you. And actually a manager, uh, if you want a manager per se, use that term that believes in you, that believes in the band, believes in the music and is, you know, is going to, going to bat for you, you know, with record labels, with, you know, you know, booking agencies with promoters or whatever, um, if you don't have that, then it's very, very difficult. You know, um, I mean, it just so many experiences I've had, you know, with, you know, we were an opening act for a band that was, you know, playing, you know, big rooms that had a couple of hits that were really not that great of a band at all. You know, they just happened to be there. But a lot of it is like who, you know, and, you know, the right time at the right place, and the right song and, like I said, that's the business part of this whole thing, which, you know, this band that you're on tour with is getting tour support from the record label, like, you know, lots and lots of money, you know, traveling and in and, and luxury tour buses and everything. And we're the opening act on the same label and we're driving, you know, yeah. <laughs> and we're living on $15 a day, you know. So, you know, I think it it does boil down to like who's in your who's in your corner, who's fighting for you, you know. Um, so it's, 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 it's a battle, you know, and, and any musician that's out there trying to do this and make a living doing it is going through the same thing. You know, it's just not easy. It's a different world today because of the internet, you know, you can, you can be heard, you can be seen, you can be out there. But back in the eighties, there was no internet, you know, know, you couldn't, you couldn't do that. You know, you had to, you had to go make a connection. I mean, when the band, started to, you know, get back together in the last 10, 12, 15 years and play shows, you know, we still till this day never got another manager or an agency or anything. But because of the internet, people were, you know, were calling us directly. Hey, what, you know, what do we got to give you to come to Brazil to play our festival? You know, this and that. And we didn't realize we even had any fans in these other countries. You know, (laughs) we've been to, we've been to so many more countries just in the last 10, 10 years. Um, because of the internet than we were in the heyday when we in the eighties, you know, when we were, you know, doing it, you know, full time. So the internet has a big impact on, you know, what people are doing today, because you can, you can record something, you can put it out on your own, you can get it heard. And, um, you know, if you're 19 years old and you're young and you have the means to do it, you can hop in a van with your band and you can, you know, travel around the country playing every little bar that you can find, you know, so you can be heard, you know, and sell your music. It's a, it's definitely a whole different world for music. Like I said, some kid could start a band today 
record the entire album in the house on a piece of a computer equipment, jump in the yep. car and go around, get the music heard all uh-huh. over the place. But when you guys started out, I mean, even go back to the Elf days, I mean, you know, you had to count on labels. You needed a label to back the band up to oh, get you, you on were. the tour support. They were the kings of, you know, the music industry. You had to have yeah. that back then. And You were at, you know, the bands were at the mercy yeah. of a record label. You know, you had to have a record label because, you know, there's no other, there's no other way. So what happens is, it's like, if you manage to get a record deal, you know, of course, back then, you know, the the label or your, whoever's in charge, they're going to take your publishing and say, okay, we're going to give you a record deal, but we're going to we're going to take your publishing, which publishing is where the money is. You know, if there's any success at all, whoever owns the publishing on their music is the one that's going to make the money. You know, so a lot of times, and it's happened to us. You know, it happened to me and, and and Ronnie. You know, if he was alive, he'd tell you the same stories. You know, and um. But it was all about, you know, I'm not saying intentionally screwing the musician, but the musician, the person that actually made it, you know, made the music, that performs the music, was on the bottom of the totem pole. You know, when it came time to, like, reaping the benefits or anything special. And, and that's, that's what the business was like back then. I don't know. You know, now it's, like you said, it's a different world with the internet and everything because you can do a lot yourself. But back then, you were at the mercy of record labels, you know? It's true. And, you know, when you think what else, I mean, you know, you had the connection to Deep Purple. I mean, they kind of like, you know, you kind of took you under the wing in a way, I guess, you know, with Ian Pace. Mm And you had mm-hmm. that little thing going, and you know, then unfortunately, you know, most of the rest of the band you got left behind because you know Richie Black was going to have another guitar player coming over the rainbow, and that kind of that must yeah. have sucked at that time. But do you say to the guys, "Good luck, I wish you the best of luck," and you say you're going to regret this one day? We could have been the next biggest thing if we no. kept this going. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, I often think about it. You know, like um, I, I think that if the Elf Band, the original Elf Band, had stuck together, I think that we would have had much. Yeah, I thought we, I think we would have had great success because yeah. we hit, we still had you know it was Ronnie for one thing that was you know Ronnie was Ronnie and and uh, the songwriting the first Elf album was you know is still being played today and um, people are loving it so we had we had what it what it took you know it's just a strange turn of events the way things happen but I'm very I was always happy for Ronnie you know like um, you know watching him progress, you know, and become more and more successful because he really, he really deserved to have that, you know, he really deserved it. And he had the talent to do that. I mean, Ronnie could have, Ronnie could have been a, a Tom Jones or an Engelbert Humperdinck, you know, he was that yeah. talented of a vocalist. I mean, he could have taken any Avenue. In fact, in the early days, there were 45s that were recorded, you know, with him doing that type of music. Um, one of them off the top of my head, remember Shearer's hit, The Way of Love, yeah. I mean, Ronnie Ronnie recorded that song before Cher recorded it. And a phenomenal job. I mean, it's, but he chose to be, you know, a rock singer, you know. But I always followed his career and, um, you know, always always wished him the best, you know. And I, I felt bad for, you know, the guys, the other guys, you know. Um, I knew that, you know, when, uh, if if Ronnie was going to go with Richie, you know, there, there was, there's no other guitar player needed, obviously. Yeah. So, you know, but I felt I felt bad about the other guys because they were friends and everything, you know. But, you know, it's a it's a it's really like a dog eat dog world, you know, and and uh, and everybody is like after the same thing, you know, like they're after that same gig and after that same that, that, that break, that one break, you know, or that one band that we can get into and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it's uh, 
it's just the way it's just the way it worked out you know i think it would have i do think about it you know it would have been successful but uh it just wasn't meant to be that way you know yeah, you know, I guess the music business is like the mafia. You know, it's nothing personal; it's just business. You know, because <laughs> you're all fighting for the same thing, like you said. Oh, it is. Unfortunately, it is. sometimes friends or bandmates have to kind of step on each other's toes to get to that, you know, the next level of what they're looking for. So it, it has to be rough. But do you take it personally? I mean, you know, be, you know, when you're 20 years old, you know, you look at things a lot different than when you're 60 and 70. You know, it's a different mindset, mm-hmm. a different mentality. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. How do you feel about things now? Looking back on it, you say, you know, "Hey, look, I did what I did, and I, I have all this output, all this music to show how great of a career I've had, and people mm-hmm. are going to remember my music long after mm-hmm. I'm gone from this place." Yeah, I don't, I don't, and I don't think I ever did, even when I was younger, and I never really had the, that opportunity because I didn't jump around from a lot of bands. I basically was in Ronnie's band, and then it was the Rods, you know. So, you know, but I always would, you know, if like we went through. Gary, who was the bass player in the Rods for the whole, pretty much the whole duration of the of the band, except we had two other bass players before him, <clears throat> and and um, and everything was like you know a handshake and good luck and you know that whole type of thing. It was there's never there's never been anything you know evil or anything um, taken the hard way. I I've never done it that way, anyways. You know, I, if somebody can succeed and do something and gets a good offer doing something more power to them you know i'm happy to see them and i'm happy for them um to be able to do that you know and and to be more of a success i uh, absolutely you know Mark, you've had some great albums out there i mean third wish clash of armor you know bitten by the beast one night in the jungle some without the rods when you know when the rods went together some when they were mm-hmm. again do you plan on doing anything else outside of the rods or is this really just the main focus right now no you know the rods uh <clears throat> the rods are my main focus you know like i I have a hard time. I've always been like, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm older. Maybe it's just because of, you know, I was, I was in Ronnie's band and that was my, my band that I was in and that was it, you know? And then when the rod started, that was my band. That was it, you know? Um, I, I, I can't, you know, I know when the rods were playing together and I started to write music and I wanted to record it, they became solo albums, you know, because of that. <clears throat> and, um, there were friends of mine that, you know, were around that were either, you know, singers or bass players or drummers or whatever. Uh, and I, I managed to get those songs recorded. I knew, you know, they were really nothing. I mean, there was no major labels. There was no big, you know, uh, realistic. If there were, if any of them were on a label, it was a small label. It was, you know, I looked at it and I knew it was going to be that way. I had no great expectations. It was just a matter of, hey, I got this music done and it's recorded, you know, that kind of thing. So... Uh, to answer your question, I have no other side um, things going on right now. I don't plan to do any other solo albums. Uh, my rods are the, the rods are the main focus for me right now. Oh, that's great. I mean, you know, when people talk about music in general, like it was like you know, California, LA is where the scene is, or uh, you go back to the eighties and the seventies and eighties, and they'll say, oh, you know, it was New York and California. And in New York, they always kind of pinned the hard rock and metal scene to some clubs in Manhattan or Lamont in Brooklyn, where you know every band went to play, and that was like the place to be. But when you think about Cortland, New York, and the eighties, I mean, besides you and Ronnie and, and other guys from the Rogers, there were so many other people and bands that came from that area. Man of War, I mean, I, I can't count them all. Bands like Metallica, bands like Raven, all kind of base themselves out of that area for a long time and yeah. recorded, hung out at the house up there. There's a lot going on yeah. in that area. I mean, yeah. Portland's not that far upstate. People think it's like, you know, <laughs> you know, on the border of Canada. It's between the yeah. city and upstate, far upstate, you know. <laughs> it's in the water. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the water. 
<laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, geez, uh, back in the day, you know, when I first got in Ronnie's band, we were playing like five, six nights a week. I mean, it was like fraternity parties. It was, you know, high school dances, college parties, bars, you know, some theaters, concerts. I mean, you name it. Uh, I think, and there was a lot going on back then. I mean, you could go out into this small town, Cortland, a small town upstate. You could go out on a weekend night and you could go hear five different bands. Yeah. There were bars having bands play all the time, you know, and now there's nothing going on. I mean, if you want to go to one of these breweries and listen to a duo play from six to eight or six to seven, you know, that kind of thing. But there's no, there's, you know, there's nothing here where you can go out and have, you know, hear a band play. So in turn, it's difficult for young kids to develop themselves into having a band because they can't go out and play anywhere. You know, there isn't any place to play. So, yeah, it's um, it was different back then as far as like being able to play. You could go out and play and it was it was great. I know, and that's the saddest thing about today is because 90% of the bands that I've come across in my lifetime have always come from seeing them at a live show. I never heard of them. Before there was the internet, you know, you went to a club and three or four bands would be on the bill and maybe one of those bands would break out to be big stars somewhere down the road. But you became mm-hmm. fans of the other bands on that bill and you looked for the records and see if they had a demo tape out or maybe a single. Those were single days when bands put out singles before they had, you know, the ability to do records. But that's how you came across so many great bands and music by going to see them live. And with that lacking today... It's kind of sick because no, kids on the internet just look at a band on a video like, oh, they're good. I'm like, it's not the same feeling as though you're standing in that no. club hearing the music. Yeah. And the clubs back then were big. I mean, the, the, some of the bars were like, they'd hold a thousand people. Yeah. You know, uh, there was a couple of places, like there was a place called the Warehouse in Ithaca. There was another place called the Warehouse down in uh, just this side of Pennsylvania, uh, out in western New York. There was another big, they were all big, big clubs, you know. Uh, that held a lot of people, and it was a great, great uh, thing to play these places, you know. And nowadays, it's like, even when you get to go play a club, it's like, Jesus, how are we going to get even anything on this little stage, you know? It's like, yeah. you know, barely fit the drums up here. Like, where am I going to put my 15 cabinets, you know? Like, so, but, um, you know, it's just, it's just a different time. It's a different world, you know. It's a different world. Everything's different now, you know, and just got to adapt to it, make the best of it. Well, I'm glad you guys are still here adapting to it. We're all getting older, but for as long as you keep doing a rock, I would appreciate it. And tomorrow's <laughs> the big day. I mean, rattle the cage out tomorrow on Massacre. I mean, I'm going to let you go in a minute. I'm going to play some songs for the live show. Uh, but does the band have anything planned for this year so far? Are you kind of just put things together? Well, we have. We're going, um, you know, we want to play some shows this coming year. You know, a lot of times, you know, we don't have an agency or anything, so it makes it hard, you know. And a lot of times these festivals and everything get booked a year or more in advance but we are going to play four shows in australia um we leave like the second of march and we're playing with anvil and ross the boss wow so four four cities in australia which is going to be great because we've never been to australia and anvil and ross the boss have both been to australia before so it's going to be, uh, we're really looking forward to that. Those are the only solid dates we have right now for 2024, but um, we're hoping that we can get some other, you know, it would be great to play down in New York. I mean, we played at, uh, we played in Brooklyn at um, St. Vitus before. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was a great, that was a, that's a great club, you know, I, I imagine it's still going. So there's some, there's some cool places to play and I'm hoping we can, we can get to play them. 
I hope you can't too, but just going to Australia is, is got to be a thrill. I mean, it's a long plane ride from New York. <laughs> you, it really... is, it is. <laughs> you know, it is going to be long, but I, you know, it's going to be, I, hopefully we can, we can hold up. You know, we did, um, I think it's like 26 hours totally of flying. I mean, we got to, we're flying from Syracuse to Detroit, then Detroit to LA, then LA directly to Sydney. But, um, I'm pretty good about. I can sleep pretty well on a plane, so it shouldn't be too bad. I mean, it, it is a long flight and it is a pain in the ass, but I think once we get there, there'll be great shows with those two bands because we know those guys, you know. Yeah. And we know Ross, we know Anvil, and uh, you know Rob and uh, Carl are you know in touch with each other all the time, and Rob's always telling Carl, "You guys got to go on tour with us. You got to go do you know do the whole you know U.S. tour with us this summer and this and it's like." You know, we'd love to, but we're not. We don't do that. You know, we'll we'll come. And we'll do some spot dates with you. We might do a week, but we can't. You know, it's not our life right now to 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 hop and go on the road for like two or three months at a time. So um, this is going to be a lot of fun with them. You know, because we know them and we know Ross. So you know, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be great. And, Rock, you have a great time over there. Thank you for all the music over the last five decades. It's been more than that. You're but welcome. I don't want to make it sound I'm, that old, but you know, no, I've been no, with you for a I long am, time. But I'm glad that there's somebody that's still interested in listening to it. So I, I guess there is. You know, it makes it all worthwhile. I haven't stopped since day one, and I'll keep on doing it. So the best of luck. Kill it in Australia. Give those Aussies something to remember when you leave. (laughs) Okay, we're going to try. All right, Rock. Take care, man.
right, brand new rods. Hello, high water. Rock is a great guy. He's so humble. He needs to give himself more credit for the music he's produced over the years, from Elf to the Rods and all his solo stuff. A lot of great tunes there. And even though the Rods have had multiple singers come in over the years, it's not the Rods without Rock on vocals, and he knows that. And the singer that they had in there about a year or so ago didn't last very long. I mean, they're all good friends. He plays in Carl's band, Kennedy. Uh, but, you know, Rock is the voice of the Rods, so that's just the way it is. All right, we got the Real Housewives of Heavy Metal coming up next. Marlene and Myung. They'll be talking about Mean Streak's new uh, record called Blood Moon. It's an EP. It's actually a bunch of the old songs from the, the later demos that came out after the album that they re-recorded. Uh, so we'll talk to the girls about that in a few minutes. We're going to get on a couple more tunes between now and then. Uh, let me see what else. You know, I wanted to talk about this company called Incidium Online. They also have a comic book offshoot called uh, Opus. Uh, the guy's name is Lexi Leon. He says he comes from California, but he really lives in London, England. And the man is an absolute thief and a crook. Don't buy anything from this site. I mean, the Incendium site seems to be taken down. All the Facebook pages are gone and all the social media accounts are gone. But I think Opus, which is a comic book part of the, the business, still has a page up there. They haven't posted in a while. Uh, and he's deleted a lot of his accounts. He's been taking pre-orders money from people for like the last two or three years and not delivering on any of the products. How he got licensed and deals with all the bands that he did is beyond me. I mean, he was selling, well, nobody ever got anything, but he had all little action figures of Dio and Murray multiple Halloween action figures from the different album covers, Exodus, Joe Satriani, Within Temptation, I think Ministry was on there, I mean, there were too many bands to name, uh, you know, he was, everything was on a pre-order basis with this guy, This everything looks legit, you know, he's all over, he was all over Facebook at the time also, so even I, even I put in like a pre-order for a lot of those figures, those collectible figures and stuff, and some of the comic books, and when I didn't get them on the time that they said, they said the pre-order was like for May, I, I bought it in April. Then when I didn't get it in May, I reached out to them and they didn't respond. They reached out a few more times and they didn't respond. Then I started getting the credit card company involved, PayPal involved. Then I finally got a response from them. They're like, well, it'll be out in the third quarter. Meanwhile, this is like August now. I'm like, this is the third quarter of the year. July, August, September is the third quarter of the year. Then it was, then it delayed more than that. So I finally have to harass this guy and, and go through all the different agencies. I got my money back. But a lot of people lost a ton of money. And I still, I was talking with Sean Peck uh, from Cage and Death Dealer the other day. I've been going back and forth with him on Facebook. The band's out on tour in Texas right now. In case you're in the area, go check out Cage. And uh, Jeremy Gold from Heaven Hell Records, they had both placed pretty large orders with him and got kind of screwed out of it. Uh, so Sean is putting this big thing together and he's going to get a lot more people involved. He knows Wendy Dio very well. He's going to reach out there to find out what happened and what was going on on that end. Uh, but if you can't, avoid it. I know a lot of people got taken for a lot of money. And if you can find any posts on the internet about this company, Incendium and Opus, you'll see nothing but bad reviews of people saying don't buy from them. But unfortunately, a lot of people did before. I was smart enough to get my money back right away. Once they missed the deadline, I didn't want to hear anything, and I just went for my money back. Meanwhile, I, I spent maybe $100, but, you know, I think Sean was in for about thirty, forty grand because he was buying, he's a collective, he was buying tons of stuff. Uh, Jeremy and, and uh, Gary Schaefer, they were buying a lot of stuff too. I think most of them got out of it in the time before they really took a big hit, but a lot of people really have. So uh, I don't know what to tell you, man. I think there's only a certain time limit on getting your money back from your credit card company. I don't know what it may be. Uh, and I don't really know what other recourse there is to it. I, you know, we all kind of got taken, I guess, with that. But if you see anything up there by this company still, if they come out under another name, the owner's name is Lexi Leon, uh, do not buy from them. That's all I'm going to say. All right, let's get back to some music before we talk to the girls from Mean Streak. Christian sends me a great request every week. This week, he dug up a real freaking under-the-barrel band, Angel of Mercy. I mean, I don't even think I've ever played them on the show. Uh, and here's a title track, Angel of Mercy. <laughs> 
walking I was afraid because I was naked Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the forbidden tree?
My man, Michael Coffey, Stone Vengeance, the song Malice, love those guys. Had Mike on the show, my God, probably 10 years ago or better. They haven't done much in all that time, but I wish they would because they were such a solid act. All right, we're going to get uh, something on off of the first Mean Streak Record Roadkill. We'll talk to the girls, play something new, and we'll kind of wrap it up here tonight. But don't forget to tune in next Sunday night. Jim Frigatis of Morbid Saint is on the show, and Stead Howland from Wasp, and he's been with Metal Church for the last, I think, 10 years now. He's in a band or a project called Freak Show with a couple of other people. Carlos Cavazzo is in there. I think Rick Fox is now in there. So we'll be talking to Stead Howland next week also. But right now, let's do the congregation for Mean Street before the girls call in.
This is Mike. Can you hear me? Yes. How are you tonight? Hi. I'm sorry that we're a little late. I was trying to call you through Skype, but no matter what I did, it just wouldn't go through with Skype. I, I don't. I don't know why. It's all right. Technology is horrible these days. It was easy the old days when we had two paper cups and a string between them. <laughs> well, listen, it is great to have you on here tonight. Being such a fan going back to, to the 80s, it makes me sound really old, but it's been that long. <laughs> I'm thrilled that you guys are back. Yeah, I'm actually here with uh, my friends, my young, the bass player in Mean Streak as well, being she lives basically oh, next door to me. Ah, how do you like that? <laughs> How's everybody doing tonight? Great. How are you? I'm doing great. I'll just throw the questions out there. Whoever wants to jump in, you can kind of do it. Okay. Because I can't see you. So, I mean, you know, listening to the new music, which is kind of old music in a way. I mean, you know, for the new single, I mean, it goes back to one of the old demo tapes. That is correct. You are right. I think it was on the other side back in 89, that song, Giant Speaks. Exactly, yes. That is right. And it sounds even better all these years later. I mean, who would have thought, right? Well, we actually, what we did was, we those were old songs that were written and done back then, but we re-recorded them. We, we redid everything. It's all new recordings, right, you know, from today, from now. You can hear it. I mean, Giant Speaks was such a great song when it came out. I mean, I really, I was hoping that these would have made it on records, you know, back in 89 and 90. It just didn't happen back then. Uh, there's definitely no. a new flavor to it. I mean, it holds true to that original sound, but you can see that like, there's a little bit of difference compared to, like, you know, the way it was originally written. Yes. Oh, I'm glad you can tell. I'm, I'm so happy about that. Yeah, well, you know, all these years later, did you get a chance to kind of tinker with it to fix up things maybe you weren't happy about with the original version of it? Or did you just want to modernize it a little bit? We just did. That's what we did. We just modernized it a little bit. But it was a couple of little, little minor changes here and there, but that's about it. Yeah, we just uh, modernized it a little bit and re-recorded the parts and recorded everything from scratch, and that's it. I mean, you know, made it more of today. And it sounds fantastic. I mean, for people that aren't familiar with the band, I mean, let's kind of take it back to the beginning, I guess. It's the mid-80s. I mean, how does Mean Street get started? Back in the 80s, it was uh, Raina and myself. We we met, and we both found out that we both played guitar. And uh, we were like, wow. We both played guitar, and we met, and we hit it off instantly. And we were both like, why don't we form a band? <laughs> let's make a band. And and we did. We put ads in the paper, and we started searching for band members, and that was it. I knew uh, Tina through a mutual friend, and um, we asked her if she wanted to sing with us. And then we got Lisa through an ad in the Aquarium, right? The yep. Aquarium Weekly. Um, I don't know if you remember that paper. Oh, I sure but, do. Uh, yep. Yeah, that was like the that was our. That was the Bible. And yeah, so uh, we got Lisa through that. And then um, I guess we found Diane, the drummer, the same way. But then we saw Yael. I can't remember how we found Diane. But then we we saw Yael playing drums in a different girl band. And oh, we, Teresa's band. Yeah, and then we kind of stole her. <laughs> <laughs> she, I think she, she was already out of the band at that point. But was we, she really? Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure, but I know we. I had gotten her number just in case, you know, down the road if we ever needed it, because there were only so many female musicians. So 
That was a good thing. Yeah, we we kind of stole her. We actually the the bad part for Yael was we kind of uh, Lisa snuck and got her Martin snuck over and got her phone number. At, at the Beacon Theater at a show. I remember it well. <laughs> yes. And then we uh, contacted her, was it four days before the show opening for Anthrax? I think it was like four days because only, she only had three days to prepare for it. And that's it. That's all she had was that amount of time to prepare and perform it and opening up for Anthrax at Lemoore's. Wow. When she was there. You know, Lisa just said we took her number just in case. So was the writing on the wall with Diane already? I mean, was it a peaceful separation? Yeah, at that point, it seemed like, you know, there were certain things that, you know, she didn't really want to go forward with. So we kind of had a little bit of an inkling that, you know, down the road, this might not last. And just in, like I said, you know, there weren't that many female musicians around. And when you see somebody who's, you know, really eye-catching and really good at what they do, you know, especially if you don't live in the same area and you don't always run into them, you know, it's like, get everybody's phone numbers it's not like today where you have social media back then you'd have to go through the grapevine and or look up in the phone book if you even knew what somebody's real name was or what they <laughs> we were all you know we were in the same state but we were you know in very very different areas you know we were like a good hour a minimum of hour hour away from each other right over two bridges right <laughs> two bridges that's and it. lots of traffic See, people today don't realize that because of social media and the way you can record it and put music out today, you have members of a band from all over the state, all over the country, all over the world, you have different members. But back then, you really were looking for people from your neighborhood or your area so you can get together every week and just rehearse and practice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when we were uh, looking for band members, the fact that Martens was from Long Island Mm -hmm. was like, oof. How are we going to make this work? You know, we were from Rockland County. She was from Long Island. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's so far away. Now, Mean Streak is in California, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, New Long York. Island, New York. Yep. I mean, we're all over the place and we recorded a demo. <laughs> I mean, I recorded an EP, yep. you know, a new album. So it doesn't really matter anymore. It's a whole different world. But when you were talking about getting Yell in the band because she was another female, and that's what you did. You, was there any intention of always keeping it a female band if a member left? Was that a priority? That you had to be female? Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Because when you think I mean, back. We, until, until we found certain people, we did have um, a male drummer for a while until we found like the right female drummer. Uh, we never played out with him, but we did have a male because there were just no female drummers in our area that could even play drums. Like in our area in Rockland County, we were like, wow, what are we going to do? Yeah. And then when we found Diane, she was already another hour or so away from us in Jersey. Yeah. But there was no one near where me and Raina lived that even played drums. So we were like, boy, we're kind of stuck. We're a little, we're a little screwed here. We got no, there's no females. What are we going to do? So we had to branch out and start looking farther and farther and farther. And then we got Diane. Even Yael, she was from Queens. We were from Rockland. Queens isn't so bad compared to Long Island. <laughs> You're in Rockland County, yeah, but it, it's a whole different. But you know what it is? You'll have. I mean, if you think about the the bands that were out at the time, I mean, you had Lita Forge, you had Vixen, Madame X, you know, Girl School, and, and and Rock Goddess. You know, they were doing everything they did was kind of like you know, I don't want to say it was like pop, not AOR, but it was it was kind of run of the mill. It was like you know, basic music. You guys came out. You were a thrash band. 
And to have five females in a thrash band back then was unheard of. Today, it's it's normal to everybody. And I never looked at any band I ever saw like, oh, they got a girl singer, they got a girl drummer. To me, good music was good music. I didn't care who was playing, who was putting it on stage. But today, this is like second age. But back then, it was a whole different ball game. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Definitely. It was. I, I, I'm pretty sure we were the first in our area to ever have a band playing heavy music like that. And it was all girls. Yeah. I mean, we were it. That's it. And then later on, they slowly started popping up around us. But when we came out, we were it. You know, that was it. There was nobody else. Maybe on the West Coast somewhere, but on the East Coast, it was just us. That's true. Little by little, they started popping up. There were there might have been a few other like rock type of you know other girl bands that were you know like rock or a little heavy rock, but they really weren't metal or thrashy so much. No, not at all. And they always use that as a gimmick for a lot of those bands, but you guys didn't. You just went out there and blew people away with the music. Yep, that, and that was our goal. We just wanted to go out there and play, and that was it. We weren't trying to be any gimmicky, anything. We just wanted to go out there and play, and we did. <laughs> we just played. We played our favorite music by our favorite bands. I mean, I can't. I, I saw you guys countless times over the years back then from Lemoore, so a whole bunch of different clubs, and... I and mean, it was always a great show, and it was an amazing show. And after Roco came out, I think it was 88. I'm getting old, so these years are getting further and further away, so I have to remember them. But back in 1988, yeah, I believe Roco came out. Yeah, uh-huh. and that record, that record just blew me away. It was on Mercenary Records, which was, I, I believe it was a New York label back then. They had Attack or yes, a few other was. bands signed to them at the time. Uh, how did your record deal come out? Did you find it a challenge to get anybody pay attention to you guys? Yes. Yeah, it was very hard. But, you know, the way we got that record deal was um, we were playing at Lemoore's in Brooklyn, and uh, we got on the Lemoore Rocks compilation album. I don't know if you remember that album. Yep. Yeah. Uh, or so we got on the Lemoore Rocks compilation album, and from that, Mercenary picked us up and gave us a record deal. And through that, we were sent to... Um, Pyramid Sound. Pyramid Sound with, uh, where was that again? It, uh, Ithaca. It was in Ithaca or yeah. Oswego? Yeah. It was in Ithaca. And we worked with Alex Perielis, who worked with all the other thrash bands, you know, Overkill and Anthrax and all those other bands. So we got right into the heart of, thra- you know, the New York thrash scene. You know, we were right there with all the big powerhouse people. We were with Alex Perielis, Rob Rackett Hunter. We were playing with all those same bands. We were right, right place, right time. Right, exactly. You couldn't have said it better. Right place, right time. That was exactly where we needed to be. Yeah, you're talking about Rockwood County. When you think about that area of upstate New York, like Cortland, Ithaca, so many bands came from that area. I mean, The Raj, Ronnie James Dio, Man of War. It was like the hub of like everything going on in the mid-80s, especially with like, you know, Carl County from the Rods producing all those early Megaforce records. I mean, was that yep. the place to kind of be in the mid-80s, like if you wanted to get any attention? Because here, I, I came from Brooklyn, so like Lamar was like, you know, the rock capital of the world back then. Every band came, course, came yeah. from town, wanted to play there. It was a place to be, but really, it was such a great scene going on. You know, semi-upstate, you know, it's not that far up, but, you know, it's over there. Well, well, we weren't, you know, we were all from down here, and we basically lived Lamore in Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, several times a week, probably. But the fact that the studio, it just happened to be in Ithaca, and that's where they sent us, we really lucked out because, like, you know, Laurel said, everybody was using them, and that's who they said, here, 
there's a good deal. This is where we're going to send you. We were like, okay, you know, yeah. can't get better than that. That was perfect, considering we had never recorded. And Same with, like, didn't they do uh, S.O.D., Billy Milano? Yeah, 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 they yeah. Did, he did everybody. Yeah, yeah. And he, they were great to work with. It was absolutely amazing. It was great. And it's funny that you mentioned Man of War, because we did actually, we did two shows with Man of War. Yes, we played with them the more we opened up to them at the Ritz. We played with everybody. You name it, we played with them. Motorhead and Wendy Williams. We actually did the Ramones. That was yeah. a big show. Overkill, Anthrax. We played with every club. I played in every club with every band. Everyone. True. When, when, when the band got started in 85, I mean, you know, that was kind of like, you know, the whole scene really just exploded around that time, 85, 86. You know, when Metallica came out in Justice for All, I just think it opened up the entire heavy metal audience, like a large audience, I should say. And it really exploded at that time. People say, like, it, it only took you three years to get a record deal and get the record out. Today, people do it, like, instantaneously because we have that ability. But back then, you really needed to have a label. You really couldn't put records out on your own or kind of get the support. That's right. that you needed a label. So did you feel it took too long to get signed to a label, or was it just the right amount of time for the band to kind of develop and, you know, gain an audience? We were so new and so young and... <clears throat> We really were, I guess we were a little bit naive. We didn't think anything of it. We were just like, ooh, we got a record deal. Great. Yeah. Yay. Wow. We started, we, originally we did covers. We played all right. covers. We played all and covers. Then after, you know, getting established as a cover band, we're like, you know, we really need to start writing some music. And then when the opportunity for the Lamora Rocks album came out, that was like, okay, we wrote a song. They picked us up. You know, we got to write more music. And then Mercenary the same label, Mercenary Celluloid, came along and said, okay, we'll give you a deal. So it was just one of those things. Yeah, it just kind of happened, like, kind of pretty pretty fast, actually. It was after that that things, like, slowed down and then became a struggle, you know. Yeah, well, um, the music scene changed. And, <clears throat> yeah, because then we wanted to get a, um, a better label than Mercenary. I mean, we did get on Music for Nations in Europe, and they were really awesome, too. But we wanted to, like, move on to a major label because they were a small label. And that's where we were having a little bit of trouble. But by that point, like we, like Martin said, we were fighting against the changing music scene and the whole grunge world coming in, and that changed everything. So it became a little bit more difficult. Sure. It was horrible timing for a band just getting their feet going. But, I mean, that's what happens. Nobody really saw it coming. I mean, some people say they did, but, you know, you turned around one day, it's 91, 92, 93, and it was just a whole different music. Did you think about changing the band up, changing the style to stay relevant? Did you say, that's not who we are? And I mean, how did it end? We did try doing that. We, we kept trying to stick to our guns and do what we wanted to do that came from the heart, that came natural. And we kept trying to play all of our stuff, but it just wasn't getting, the scene changed so much. So we were trying to change with the scene as well as a lot of other bands that we knew. Um, and they were trying to change along with it, but it just didn't feel right. And it just wasn't coming off right. And it just wasn't us. It wasn't Mean Streak. And um, no matter what we tried, it just it just wasn't working like the way our band did work. You know, it just, didn't feel right, and finally by 94, we were just like, enough. Like, we just were working this into the ground. We're done. We tried a couple of different approaches. I mean, maybe it would have been better if we would have just stuck to our guns and just kept doing what we were doing and not trying to change with the times. 
Um, but who knows? Who could have predicted the future back then? We didn't know what was right and what was wrong. We just were trying to survive in that music scene. True. And, and listen, there were, there were bands that were around for decades. We had dozens of records out that fell by the wayside when the 90s came around. A lot of bands couldn't survive. And a lot of bands did change. You know, Overkill changed up their sound a little bit. They came back around yeah. and the scene came back around. But people had to do what they had to do to stay relevant. And I think that's when they realized, you know, the music business is a business. And you've got to make business decisions sometimes whether you like them or not. Right. And then we also, we wound up around that time, we all started getting older. And we wound up getting married to our, our current husbands. And the same time the music scene was changing and at the same time we were trying to do all that stuff and keep up with the time and getting married and who was having kids it just seemed like we were done we were just done yeah we were like let's just let's just call it quits at this point that's what happens. I, I had Bettina on my show about 10 years ago. And I said, do you ever think that me and Street could get back together? She's like, I would love that to happen. But with everybody's lives today, I don't think it will. And then a few years after that, it actually happened. And I, and, I, and I was so happy when I heard that news. And the first show back, I mean, how did it all come about when you decided, that, hey, let's give this another shot? Because we're all older now. And most of the kids are grown up. How did it all come about? Well, I guess part of that is the kids were, you know, those of us who have kids, our kids are, you know grown up and metal is coming back luckily things you know have changed yeah. a bit and it during covid we had talked about stuff and you know it was just one of those times where a lot of people all of a sudden from our era were starting to come back and get back together and you know little by little we're like okay let's think about doing this and then all of a sudden we had a tour and we really had to do it <laughs> Yeah, we were, we, and when we first decided um, during COVID, we were just all, you know, Skype talking together, hanging out, like, oh my God, we miss each other, blah, 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 let's, let's do this reunion thing. We never in a million years thought we were going to get the John Patrici tour, and then John decided, hey, you guys should come out and tour with me. We were like, whoa, <laughs> that's like, that's like a serious, like, tour and for a whole different type of audience like wow yeah uh, should we you know that's the john petrucci audience that's not the thrash audience from the 80s are we gonna do you know are we really gonna do this and we did and his audience really accepted us and that was a wonderful wonderful thing but that wasn't part of the reunion we were planning on doing that long before we even got offered the tour so it was really a shock to be able to do something like that it really pushed us along even faster really got the momentum going in the band if you you know what i mean i can you know i can imagine i mean you're talking about maybe doing it again and then the offer for the tour comes up I mean, how can you turn it down? And you get back together, and the first show, I don't think it could have turned out to be more of a disaster from the outside looking in than it could have been. Bettina got hurt before the show. I mean, I was at the side, but I was there. But you guys still went on and carried on. Yeah, well, that was pretty incredible. An hour and a half before the show, Tina was asking um, about getting some water out of the van, and it was very loud. And I was trying to tell her, I'll go get the keys. I'll get some extra water out of the van. And in that instance, the several of us watched there was no railing and she fell backwards and broke her wrist in two places 
So yeah, she luckily spent you know the rest of the night in a cool ER, and um, we played. It was our first year, first show in 30 years. We're like, we we got to play. We're just gonna have to play without vocals. Yeah, it was quite difficult trying to play the first show together ever and try to figure out where we were in songs and try to. It was it was fun though. We were just goofing around and being silly and yeah. having fun and laughing and just. You know, doing whatever just to get the show to go on. But in deep inside, we were all like, oh, my God, <laughs> wondering what's happening with Tina and wondering what's going on and being like, this is unbelievable. Did anybody say, damn, I knew we shouldn't have done this? No, I don't think so. The whole time we were like, this is the best thing we've ever got. Here. We do it. I mean, you know, it's a thousand degrees and, you know, the place wasn't the greatest, but it's a stage. And there were so many people who came out. You know, friends we hadn't seen in a long time, fans we hadn't seen in a long time, like years. So, so many people that hadn't been around. The bands that we played with yep, back in exactly. the 80s, it was so great just to see them and, and play with them again. True. Play with them. It was like so much fun. Like, that was like such a fun night, except for Tina. I mean, that yeah. was devastating knowing like she's sitting in the ER totally by herself in the middle of Brooklyn. And here we are at a venue, like, playing a gig without her. That was, like, devastating. But we, the show must go on, you know? Right. Absolutely. Well, the first time you all get back together in a room, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you were rehearsing and practicing on your own, but is it like getting up on a bike again? Do you go back in there and remember all the songs, all the parts, or did you start playing things that sounded a little different? Like, you just, I, you just couldn't remember, like, where something went? Well... Like, we've said this before, we've done a couple of other interviews. <clears throat> At one point, at certain points, it is like, you know, it's just getting back up on a bike and, again. But you remember it, some of the parts of older songs, they do pop back into your head, and you're like, oh, wow, that's right, that's how this song goes. But, you know, um, playing an instrument, it, it's muscle memory and you remember your stuff but it's also muscle memory as in your muscles have to get toned again the muscles in your hands and your fingers and your arms are not as strong as they used to be and you can't all of a sudden expect your muscles to go from not playing a guitar or a bass for like 30 years, for 30 years <laughs> and then all of a sudden expect the stamina to be there to down pick an entire song for five minutes straight without your arm cramping up like you got to work those muscles. You got to build those muscles back up again to be able to pull up that stamina. And that doesn't happen overnight. No, it's like being an athlete. You have to train for it. It's like if you're not used to doing it, it's like it's almost like starting over. But you know what you have to do. So that's right. the difference. It's like it's starting all over again, but you already know what to do. So that's kind of a weird. Yeah, I mean, you thing. can remember the chords. You can remember the notes. Everything starts to fall back in place. You remember everything. So it is like just getting back up on that bike and riding. Yeah. But then you need that stamina. You need that strength in your fingers and your arms. You need the calluses on your finger. You oh, need yeah. all that stuff back again. And that doesn't happen overnight. You need practice. And you got to work hard to get there. And it doesn't just it doesn't just appear and come out of nowhere. Sure. The memory does, but the strength, you have to build that up, you know. Well, a lot of those songs on Roadkill were pretty fast songs, so when you're starting playing them now, you're like, damn, did we play that fast back then? That's the, you sound exactly word for word like what I said. Exactly. 
I put the I put the album on and I'm like, okay, I got to play to this. Yeah, I started to remember the chord progressions, but then I was like, whoa. Yeah, I'm gonna you got to slow that metronome down a lot. <laughs> like the congregation, I was like, holy cow, I can't down pick this entire song yet. I, I need to uh, work on this for a month or so before I'm going to be able to do this. <laughs> I could do it. I could play through the song differently, but the technique wasn't the same. Yeah. I don't how know long, if that makes sense. Absolutely. But, you know. How long was it before you all felt comfortable? Like when you say, hey, you know what? I think we got it now. But, you know, it, it's back. I would say it was it was quite a while yeah. before I got the full-blown technique. Like I said, I could play through the song. I didn't have the heavy chugging technique down. I could do it up and down picking, things like that. But it was a couple months before oh, yeah, I got the, I mean, the full-blown, like, down-picking thrash style uh down, you know, down fully. Yeah, there was By the time you went on tour, yeah. Yeah, I was fine. But no, I mean, with me, I had to play two, three separate times a day just for a little while. Otherwise, I would have had blisters and raw fingers. Like, yeah. I don't play with a pick. So that was very challenging, trying to, you know, just get things back and really work on it. Just, you know, keep going and going. And <laughs> I would remember I'd be sitting there <clears throat> practicing this stuff and being like, I have to get this, like, I have to build these muscles up in my hand. It was it was mainly the speed, getting the speed, the, the tempo, getting that. And, like, just doing it for so long and then going inside to, like, make myself, like, something to eat or think. And I was like, oh, I can't even butter this toast. My hand is so weak. I can't do this. I think I overdid it. Oh, my God. I can't move my hand. I was like, I think it should be done for the night. I'd be like, my, I should massage my hand. I can't move it. <laughs> My forearm is stuck. I can't move my arm. Oh. <laughs> He'd be like, time to take a break, honey. I was like, no, I got to get back in there. Just massage my arm for me. Oh, God. Well, you know, now the 2024 is here, a brand new EP. I mean, are all the songs on here somebody, like, re-recorded from the, the old demo tapes, or is there anything new that you just wrote, or is it all from the other side and the Dark Gift? Yes, they're all songs that we had originally wrote, but we re-recorded everything. We played everything brand new nothing is just taken off of those demos and like remixed and mastered everything is re-recorded new so it's all us currently playing this stuff now that's going to be great in the future now are you planning on writing new music and keeping this going and, and trying to get on more yes. tours and one-off shows and music as far as new music goes i mean where would the band be at today i mean you know you, you want to kind of hold true a little bit of the old sound but so many years have passed and so much influence is coming out of your lives musically where do you go with the new music now i would say you know stuff that we'll be working on would you know be in the same vein and still be mean streak and i, I think no matter what we play it's always mean streak because we all have our own little things that you know make it that and it's just one of those things yeah it'll probably be very similar but it'll still sound like mean streak i mean maybe we don't necessarily want it to sound like oh my god they sound like an old 80s band we want it to sound more like today's music so like we want to sound like we're living in today's times but it's still going to have that mean streak edge to it, you know? Absolutely, because, you know, you want to appeal to the old fans, but you also want to bring in new ones, too. And a lot of the new fans today are young kids that are like, they weren't even born when you guys were doing this, and they're so crazy about the music. It's just unbelievable, the audience that's out there today for heavy metal. 
Right. Yeah. We just don't want to sound dated. That's all. We yeah. just want to make sure that we keep our sound. We don't want to sound dated, but we don't want to sound like a totally different band where people are like, oh, who is this? Yeah. We still want to sound like us. At least to us, we want to sound like us without sounding dated and old-fashioned, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. I definitely think you did that, did that with the re-recording of those older songs because it's, I think it's like a bridge between like what you're going to come out with and what you had because it, to me, you know, I have those old demo tapes and it sounds kind of true to that, like a new modern version of it. So I think this is a great bridge between what you had and what you're going to do and I think it's going to be an easier transition for a lot of people when you come out with the new stuff. Completely Excellent. New stuff. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. You, you, go, you girls did it, not me. <laughs> it's your music. I mean, give yourselves credit. I mean, I'm just happy that you're back. What do you have planned for this year? I mean, you know, the Blood Moon EP is coming out this year. I mean, anything else planned? Are you looking for any live shows this year or going out on tours yep, as much possible? That's, that's what we're actually focusing on right now. We're Right now we're focused on getting uh, writing. We're currently focused on writing new material. And we're really focused on getting this EP out and looking for new tours, and we have a whole bunch of people that we're talking to, and we'll see what they come up with, and hopefully somebody will be able to, some of the people we're talking to will be able to secure, you know, a short tour or some tour, uh, just some dates or something like that for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see what they come up with. The EP comes out February 2nd, which is next week. Yes. So it'll be available everywhere, iTunes, Spotify, Title, all the other everywhere, yep. And uh, after that, we'll see what everybody we've been talking with comes up with, and we'll move forward from there. That that's going to be great. You remember when Roku came out? All you had to say during interview was go to your local record store. Now you now you have to name like four thousand internet sites to go get the record. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very it's good. a different world, but I'm, I'm glad you're in it making music. And Lisa Moline, I'm not going to keep you. I appreciate you talking with me today. I'm going to play a couple of songs off this new EP and some old stuff. And, I mean, the best of luck. And I can't wait to see you guys live again with Tina on vocals this time. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great night, everybody. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a great night.
Hey, Jane Speaks. That song is actually off of uh, Dark Gift or the other side demo. I'm not, I don't remember. They had two demo tapes out in 90, I think 89 and 92. And they took four songs off of those tapes. They re-recorded them and put them out on the new EP called Blood Moon. So the older songs just re-recorded. And I know they said they want to stay relevant. But if they stood in this direction, I think they'd be just fine. Those demos were really good when they came out. And in the hope that they'd be a second record. It just didn't pan out back then. But you never know. Different time and place right now, right? Alright, I want to thank everybody for being on tonight's show. Marlene, Martins, and The Rock. Thank you guys very much. Next week, Stead Howland is on the show. And Jim Fogage from Morbid Saints. Don't forget to tune in. How about we wrap it up here tonight with some attacks. Juan Ricardo is definitely the busiest man in heavy metal. He's involved in about five or six active bands, and he's always out there playing. This will be the first new attacks record since ever. They've never really had a record out. I think in 90 they had the Are You Ready uh, cassette, which I actually have a copy of. Uh, and there was a bunch of compilations that came out a few years ago from different reissue labels. But they've never actually had a full-length record out, like, like a pure solid record. This will probably be the first one. So I'm looking forward to it. And when it does come out, we'll get one back on the show. I've been meaning to get him back on for years. It just hasn't happened. I get busy sometimes with other bands and I forget. But I'll reach out to Juan. We'll get him back on the show again. So how about we do some attacks right now? Are you ready? The title track of that cassette from 1990. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday night. Thank <laughs> you.